Hello and welcome to the X-Files Revisited. I'm your host, Graham Davidson, and with me as always is Brian Womax. Join us as we systematically work our way through the full X-Files franchise. In each episode, we will tackle a single episode of the X-Files, so join along. Watch with us as we discuss each and every detail on the X-Files Revisited. Hello and welcome back to the X-Files Revisited. Now we are moving on with Season 2, Episode 20. And I suppose full disclosure on this one, Brian. This, this is not the first time we've recorded this episode. No, it's not. So we're just going to have the, uh, a deja vu conversation. And um, mm-hmm. let's begin that with the, is this an important episode in the X-Files? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think it is. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, yeah. F- for those, for those listening, uh, we did, we did record this and completely cocked it up. Um, for some reason, my audio just disappeared from iTunes. So yeah. Um, deja vu, but there you go. Uh, Humbug. It is an important episode, I think, because it did something different really that we hadn't had in the X-Files before, which was a comedy episode. Just like, mm. You know, we've had moments of humour in the show. We've had, like, comedic elements, but we've never done a full-on kind of farcical out-and-out comedy episode. Uh, And this kind of introduces us to Darren Morgan's writing style. So this this is a guy who previously was in The X-Files as the fluke man in the episode The Host, from this season um and yeah clearly was being wasted on uh, <laughs> on burying himself under a rubber suit because actually he's a pretty damn good writer um and he would go on to make or write many season highlights you know if you, if you look at the top five episodes of each season chances are you're going to have a Darren Morgan episode in there. So, uh, yeah, and uh, I think uh, because of that, a few other people had a good go at writing these kind of episodes. Vince Gilligan, Vince Gilligan does a, a very good kind of, you know, take on the whole comedy shtick sort of episode. So, so yeah, you know, um, Darren Morgan really started something with this. And beyond that, he he's just a really good storyteller. He finds mm. themes. He works thematically. So often you'll find his episodes, each scene will deal directly with the themes that he's trying to discuss. There's never a wasted moment. Um, uh, so, you know, without giving the game away right off the bat, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it there and we can get into it. But yeah, that's... Mm. Yeah. That was... It's funny you say this a kind of comedic episode because I took this one like with a heavy dose of tragedy uh, all the way through. Oh yes, yeah. I mean, and I think that's certainly an aspect of Morgan's writing as well. I think he he analyzes tragedy through comedy, um, mm. which you know is what comedy does anyway. The, the best comedians are often, you know, tears of a clown kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Uh, you look, look inside every comedian is a a struggling serious actor so they say you know so um yeah okay so we we open up with a a, a fake out um which is 
kids frolicking in a pool as some uh, creature from the woods watches on, slowly stalking closer. There's the, the usual twig break where everybody yeah. stops and looks, what's that? Yeah. And then before they know it, something slips into the pool and then jumps out, terrifying the kids. And that person is... Their father. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It, the true it, demon. Yeah, it sets up the episode. It, it, it feels like any usual X-Files kind of mm-hmm. introduction. You know, we're expecting a, a bit of a monster episode from it. What's going to happen? Um, and we do get a monster, or certainly someone who would be perceived as a monster in, in some quarters. You know, this is a circus freak. Um, and yeah, it humanizes humanizes him instantly, like oh, by, yeah. by showing us that actually this is his kids, and he's playing with them, he's having fun with mm. them. It's and and we we get that throughout this entire episode. Um, you know, the, the the freakish or what society would deem to be the freakish, actually being given humanity and and vice versa. Um, yeah, and, and after, and and once it, it does this kind of scene it then repeats the scene yet again mm. in the fashion we were expecting with somebody yes. stalking the alligator man, yeah. attacking him in the pool and killing him. And it's it's wonderful because it's basically the same same scene repeated but with different results. Yeah. We were expecting it the first time, it doesn't happen, but we get it the second yeah. time. And you you instantly then have sympathy for the monster, you know? So, mm. the, the yeah, the man who would traditionally be the monster has been <clears throat> revealed as human, has been revealed as a family man, and then he gets taken out. And we're, we're instantly kind of forced into the position of sympathising with this person who, well, he's just that. He's a person and not a monster, mm-hmm. not just a circus freak. And that, that sets up really exactly what this episode is about. You know, the thing I was saying about what Darren Morgan does thematically he you know he, he explores a very particular theme and he does it in every single scene and, and we'll see that throughout this episode there's no wasted scenes in this even scenes that just seem like they're there for a bit of fun or a bit of you know a bit of a laugh or whatever they give us that laugh through exploring this theme throughout you know every single scene says something about this issue about you know people on the fringes of society freaks so to speak and the fact that actually deep down inside every monster is a human being and we're thrown straight into the credits (laughs) 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 we're into the episode it kicks off and um, what i like about this is there's no preamble or chit chat or anything else we are instantly seeing uh, the, the police pictures of the dead alligator man Mulder is filling in Scully on this story and again nothing's wasted it's a conversation like this is it's, the, it's a transition sequence you know that is, like, this is the case now let's get on to it mm. what do you think of this scene yeah I really like the scene and it does set up a question um, that, that's kind of an important question that the re- again the rest of the episode kind of deals with um, I, ca- I can't remember who asks it is either Mulder or Scully but the this but it's not so much a question as a statement, which is imagine going through your whole life looking like this. And that, mm. again, it's, it's about humanizing the inhuman. You know, it's, it's about putting, your, putting the viewer into their shoes. Because um, you may not have asked that question. 
in the introduction. Uh, and, and by having Mulder Scully directly confront that, you're then instantly faced with this idea. It's like, yeah, I'm, you know, in quotation marks, normal, whatever that is. Mm. These, these people aren't. What would it be like? What would my life be like to have to live as one of these people has? Uh, so, yeah. We jump into the, the Mulder and Scully gate crashing a funeral where there just happens to be two seats right in the middle of everybody that nobody's filled in. Uh, just space for these two guys to go and sit. And it kind of treats it a little bit like a freak show. Well, Scully most definitely is anyway, because she's kind of looking about of all these curious sights and, and taking them all in, not really realising what she's doing. Um, whereas Mulder's just kind of like, this is normal for him almost. You know, this feels like a, a Sunday brunch. For him, he's in his element. In his, straight, in his <laughs> element, yeah. It's just like, this is great. Yeah, love it. Um, I think get, it's a really uh, good fun sequence. I think it is, yeah. And we get, um, so, so, so some dude just randomly pops up out of the ground yeah. <laughs> to perform a tribute. Um, yeah. and it's, so this, this guy's called Dr. Blockhead, but he's actually mm. played by um, world-renowned circus performer uh, Jim Rose, who... And I don't know if he's still around these days or, or what. Obviously, this, mm. this is a, an episode that is tw- at least 20 years old. 20, yeah, 25 years old. Yeah, it's pretty, it's, I think it's getting, getting more on for 30 now, to be honest. Yeah, almost uh, 30. So, yeah, but Jim Rose, back in the day, certainly when this was filmed, he, he, he ran a, a, a freak circus, basically. That's, you know, and he was, he was part of part of that he, he had an act and everything so you know we get to see some of his talents throughout this episode but um yeah it, a really really interesting character that we'll have more to say as we get later on in the episode yeah. but, um, and you get i think you get to know everything you need to know but this guy because this is a somber moment they're burying one of their friends and he literally pushes the coffin out of his way you know, it's not a tribute. It's him trying to start everybody. <laughs> it's a demolition, you know? basically. It's a demolition, <laughs> a one-man demolition. <coughs> so we go from there into the uh, city diner because there's always diner sequences. In the diner. Yeah. Yeah. And we're there with uh, Motor Scully and uh, Sheriff Hamilton. Mm-hmm. So what do you think about this scene? So I like this scene. Um, obviously, this so this sheriff. We're not going to find out until later in the episode um, just why he can connect so well to the freaks. Um, but yeah, certainly at this point, he's just a regular guy. He's a sheriff, but he feels for these guys. He's he's very much on their side. He very much wants to keep outsiders who are, who are just there to pry, who are just there to poke fun and whatnot. He, he wants to keep them out. He wants to protect these circus freaks. And uh, he, he defends them uh, by, yeah, you know, he calls them that they're, they're very special but normal people uh, at the end of the day. Uh, and so, so I instantly warm to this guy, you know. Uh, I, I, I think he comes across instantly as, as a good guy. And we're used to, obviously... Uh, as as you know, as, as we've said throughout numerous episodes, whenever Mulder and Scully go to one of these small towns and something is amiss, you get one of two kinds of local sheriff. You get either the complete and utter douchebag, 
um, who just tries to hinder the investigation at every step of the way, or you get the the idiot kind of yeah. numbskull who, yeah. yeah this guy, Hamilton, is a complete <coughs> uh, breath of fresh air. Just, mm-hmm. just his whole mannerisms, the way he yeah. talks and handles himself. Uh, the way he relates to Mulder and Scully, both as as uh, co-workers almost, because they're peers, yeah. you know, within the, there's no antagonistic nature. And the way he relates to just people in general as just being people. He's just yeah. a, a refreshing, like really nice character. And you can't help but just go look like that guy. Yeah, oh, yeah. I quite like him. Yeah. yeah. And uh, of course, this leads to a little bit of uh, information about the Fiji mermaid, because I, I just... This is a little bit of a contrivance just for contrivance sake. You know, he looks at a menu and sees a picture and Mulder's like, uh-huh, this is prime suspect. A prime suspect. <laughs> yeah. Hepcat Helm, who does the, art, mm. the, the artwork for the menu. Um, basically, it's just, it's just a really... Uh, if you call it artwork, it's yeah. the kid's doodle. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a way in basically and, and you know we're, we're used to Mulder at this point leaping on whatever most random inconsequential thing he can to, to spin us off into the tail but uh, yeah so it takes us to Hep Camp Hep Cap Helms Workshop so this is a guy hmm. who does a lot of kind of yeah pieces of art and, and, and sculptures and stuff that are kind of freaky um, for his fun house for the fun house yes the tabernacle of terror as he puts it <laughs> um, and Mulder asks Helm what the drawing is in the brochure to which we then yeah. get the Fiji mermaid story um, which leads me to one and there are many favourite small moments in this episode where the man tells the story of the Fiji mermaid but like any other policeman in the other show, Mulder's just standing there nodding his head and the guy goes, it's when he just sewed a fish next to a monkey and he's like, a monkey? Now you, now you have my attention. And I'm like, what the, why, why is he so interested in this? I mean, they explain it in the next sentence, but I was just like, why, why is a monkey the thing that just like turns him on almost? That's, that's what gets him excited. Oh, yes. Um... <laughs> Yeah, he's um, so it raises this question about you know was it was it real or was it a hoax? And of course, it was a hoax. But mm. the important thing is that actually, um, it's it's the mythos, it's the myth that is built around that hoax that kind of inspires mm. people, that gets the imagination running wild, and kind of really, it's it's a story about the place of the freak in the world you know you look at these people who are all in community together who belong to a circus of freaks um and the reason they kind of live the way they do and the reason they can thrive is because of the mystery that being different kind of affords them uh you know it it gets people kind of yeah. I, I kind of looked at it as well as almost an allegory for Blockhead and the conundrum mm. that come into it because mm. um, they're not real freaks, mm. but they're almost more popular than their counterparts be- because of the, the, the overly oddness of them. Mm. You know, yeah. Yeah, I thought that was quite interesting as well. Mm. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, so Mulder whips out some photos of tracks mm. that were found at the crime scene. And, uh, yeah, so that, that's... Yeah. What was it? The Fiji Mermaid. It, yeah, they say it's semi-mid. <laughs> and I'm just like, huh? It just looks like a drag mark yeah. in the soil. Yeah, but, so... Uh, but but that that shows us where where Mulder was heading basically when it, when he saw the the artwork he thought that, that was his first kind of go to little tracks yeah. means a little person means Fiji mermaid. <laughs> um, so from there we move on to the trailer park where we get the introduction of a, a character who, in my opinion is entirely correct and forthright about everything, but is one of the biggest douchebags you've ever met. Like, the guy with a chip so- on his shoulder. He's got a serious yeah. chip on his shoulder. Oh, but everything he says is correct. It's yeah. just his manner of delivery is just so <laughs> off-putting. Such a little loquacious character. I really like him. This is, this is a dude who's in Twin Peaks, obviously. Uh, you know, yeah. It's, 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 before this, it was certainly the role I knew him from, and mm-hmm. still, you know, still is the the one that I kind of remember him from. Um, yeah, played a, a very strange character in a very strange series, but here he's actually played as a, something of a straight man. But humour comes out of his straightness, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Um, so it's like there's a, there's a great moment when uh, some some older goes in there and literally just assumes this guy is a circus freak um, because because of his stature you know, he's a dwarf and he's like have, have you done much work with the circus you know and then this guy just goes into this complete diatribe about how Mulder just assumed from his from his stature that you know that he would be a circus freak and that he doesn't have a degree in hotel management and all this kind of stuff and uh, <laughs> yeah really puts Mulder in his place big time but like you said in the most douchebaggy way that you possibly could I, I love the way almost like a badge of honour he storms down the steps and holds up this plaque that says look hotel management in your face buddy <laughs> it was just like, and then he totally just puts Mulder in his place by like paying him down to his Base essentials, bad mm. tie, square haircut. You know, you're an FBI agent, um, which is quite, it's quite funny as well. To which, to which he is. <laughs> FBI yes, agent. Yeah. So he gets so so. Like the brilliance of this scene is that one, it both calls out the fact that we do, you know, stereotypes are a bad thing. We reduce people to stereotypes. We make judgments on them. It's very much what this episode is about. It's about making judgments on these people because of how they look or act or whatever. We assume, oh, they're freaks. Um, but on, on, the, on the flip side of that, in the same hand, it points out that actually stereotypes are often right, you know, because they come from somewhere. And, and so, yeah, you get Mulder making these stereotypes, which turn out to be wrong. You get this guy making his stereotypes it turn out to be right. And that's because, yeah, more often than not, there is an element of truth in them. So I, I, I do like that. I like that, yeah, in such a funny way, Morgan explores that idea. So we jump onto the next scene where we meet Lenny, uh, the kind of alcoholic, um, 
And instantly, Mulder, who just <laughs> hasn't learned a lesson, just turns around and asks him if he's done much stage work. It's like literally the same question. He literally, he's, had, he's had a tirade of abuse from this little guy and it just doesn't phase him at all. Nope. He comes across someone else and he, he doesn't change his approach, not one bit. He uses the exact same approach down to, mm. down to the wording, just asks the same question. And, and there's a beautiful moment just off the side where you see Scully look at him as if to go like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> it's wonderful. But this, this Lenny is, is a great character. And he, um, mm. he, you feel as if he's somebody who really misses being in front of an audience, who, who's said the job is the easiest job he ever had. Um, and it's a little stinger in it where he says that uh, Mr. Nutt said it was, it was really demeaning to be paraded in front of people, but now he's got a, more, a better job carrying people's luggage, <laughs> or, or to paraphrase it. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which you, you don't like this character. This character is is very, very odd for me because he's both very happy and extremely sad in the same moment. You know, he seems to enjoy his job and conversing with people, but then he feels rather dour and sad about it, and he's drinking, and mm-hmm. like he never, he can't get a, an idea of his personality really. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of melancholy there with him. I think. I think. I think mm. He's someone who's found a place in the world that kind of accepts him for what he is, but there's still something quite tragic about being there, about kind of yeah. almost being forced to be there in a way. Um, and, uh, yeah, so from there, Hepcat Hale is murdered by the Fiji mermaid, or is it? Um, <clears throat> So, yeah, and we do get a little shot. We get a, a random little flash of when this thing comes through the window at him, mm-hmm. which is quite, yeah. What did you think? I, I like these fleeting images. Mm-hmm. I like the that, but you don't get to see everything. So again, well, let's your imagination run wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good. I, I think, um, again, as well, you know, bearing in mind this is nearly 30 years old, it's television as well. I think the effects work on it is, is pretty nice. It's, you know, it's oh, ho- terrific. Horrific enough to be cinematic, you know, worthy of, of, a, of, a, of a movie monster, so to speak, um, yeah. on a TV budget, which is great. So, yeah. um, so we go from there and Mulder is out running when mm-hmm. he sees a tattooed man catching a fish in the most yeah. unique of ways. Mm-hmm. And uh, just delving into that fish straight away while it's still <laughs> wriggling in his hands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, indeed. So uh, we get Scully uh, walking by acrobats outside her window, which is just such a, an obscure image, but it's really fun. Um, and uh, we get Lenny coming to get her. And this, this was simply marvellous. And I love this scene where She's at the door with her robe a little bit loose and he's at the door with his robe a little bit loose and uh, she is eyeing his bump and he is eyeing <laughs> her bumps and it's just that, that moment of kind of understanding both what they're doing mm-hmm. and they're both just a little bit ashamed. Yeah. <laughs> for different reasons hand. though, for different reasons. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it is, it, it, it's, it's, 
it does put a spin on the uh, you know the, the male gaze idea that is, is kind of you know perpetuated in, in films and TV and stuff, and that the shoe is almost put on the other foot. It's uh, yeah, but, yeah. Um, so I, I I just love how yeah when, when Scully wakes up, like you say, there's these acrobats jumping outside on a trampoline. We don't. We don't know what they're doing at first. We just she just wakes up as if from a dream, and just sees some dude, some randomer, just kind of fall down her window. Yeah. So it looks like someone's just literally fallen from the sky until they come <laughs> bouncing back up again. Yeah. But it just it just kind of gives you the, the feeling of the world they are currently existing in, where at every turn, everywhere you look there's some random act of weirdness going on by yeah again by these by these people who would be considered by society to be quite weird um then we go to the, the, the next murder scene um which is hit cats and we just have the, the two guys just kind of doing a little bit of detective work and and Mulder does a a little bit of misdirect where he's like there's blood in the window we're all standing next to one uh, and then when somebody says, no, we've, we've caught that, he's like, no, this window over here. Um, just just being a little bit of a smart arse, really, mm. which is fun. It's nice to see a little bit of detective. And it, it feels almost like unimportant, but it's, it's a detective show. It's nice mm. to see them detecting. <laughs> um, so Dr. Blockhead becomes prime suspect. Mm-hmm. Um because of the whole window thing he's he's obviously a contortionist they've seen him doing that kind of thing back at the uh the funeral so he he becomes prime suspect because you know it had to be someone who could get through that tiny window uh so yeah they they go to see him while he's in the middle of an escape act Hmm. Uh, and he he then hammers a nail into his nose talks of being able to drop one's testicles into her abdomen which is just all right which Mulder makes a joke of he's kind of doing that right now it's just a fun sequence um, yeah and we get introduced to the conundrum is it conundrum mm. or the enigma which the, the conundrum yeah so, yeah. so the, the tattooed man who we saw previously eating the fish who's, who's been sitting in this roasting pot for the whole time that they've been talking, um, yeah. which we don't know because he only pops up like after they've had a, a good chat. So, uh, yeah, but it but it kind of it starts to reveal like like you were saying before this element of these guys aren't freaks because they were yeah. born that way. These these are people who've chosen to take up that mantle. They've. They've chosen to either scar their body or, you know, or, or do things that make them appear freakish. And yeah. it's almost like they don't belong to any Maybe. part of society anywhere. Yeah, they, they don't belong in, in normal society and they don't belong to these freaks. They've kind of ingratiated themselves upon this world within this community. I don't think they're respected precisely because of the reasons that you know you, you mentioned, which is that they're not real freaks. Um, so it's like they could walk away from this world at any time, yeah. and and most of the people in this world, if given the choice, would do that. And yet these yeah. these two men, they don't. Um, so 
yeah, it, it, it sets up that idea. Um, there's a nice little trick at the end as well with the, the locusts when Scully pretends to eat a locust, but it's it's all magic. And uh, yeah. <coughs> we get Mulder as well. He's like quite quite jokey in this episode quite a lot. And he he says, "Did I not see you down by the riverbank today?" Mm. And the guy's like, "No, I wouldn't be him." And he's like, "That must have been some other uh, naked, six foot, jigsaw <laughs> tattooed man." <laughs> like, he has these just kind of like witty one-liners that I really do enjoy. Uh, now on to like possibly my my favourite scene uh, in the episode, which is the Museum of Curiosities. Mm. Which, uh, I mean, this this. This set has the most reflective surfaces I think I've ever seen in a set, but they are perfectly placed to create this uh, staggering glimpse of, of this person whom just, uh, I mean, it's curious. It really does have to look, uh, what is it hiding? What is it alluding to? Um, but you tell us a little bit more about this scene, Brian. It, it, I think it's brilliantly directed. Um, mm. I, I like that they don't show this guy full on. It mm-hmm. is all, you know, flashes of him in mirrors and, and, and whatnot and kind of fractured pieces of who this guy is. But uh, I just, I love the way he plays Scully for a sucker. <laughs> so he, t- he talks about P.T. Barnum, who obviously, you know, that most people will now know as, as you know, Hugh Jackman in The Greatest Showman. Um but uh, he, he talks about the, you know, the real life P.T. Barnum and uh, kind of just about the power of, again, of, of myth that is built yeah. around these, these curiosities. And as if to demonstrate that, he suckers Scully into coughing up five bucks to go and see this supposed curiosity, a genuine P.T. Barnum exhibit that, you know, and it, it, again, it plays into that whole notion that p- people are drawn to freaks in a strange way. They want to, they want to see something freakish. It's like, mm. you know, they, they don't analyze why we're we doing this. That's wrong. Let's not do this. Even someone as, as, um, intelligent and rational as Scully gets caught up in the, uh, you know, the curiosity of the, of the other, of, of the weirdness of it and uh, allows herself to be suckered by this guy. Of course, she goes into the room and there's nothing in there. It's, it's basically just a middle finger to her. Um, but, uh, yeah. yeah. But she understands that and has a little yeah. wry smile about it. You know? But, but, the, the, but the, the, there's a... a so he gives this really interesting story about the two twins yeah. who jo- joined together, conjoined twins. Yang and Yang. Yeah, and how uh, one of them died. And then obviously a few moments, uh, a while later, the second one died. But like, just this idea that even in death, freaks don't, you know, they're not given that kind of, dignity and, and yeah it's just just the fact yeah just like like imagine i mean and then that is a horrific idea because this this i believe this is a true story mm. um and that's, that's that's such a horrific idea being joined to this, this you know your, your brother or your sister for, for your entire life 
and then when and then they die and it's like you're kind of stuck to this dead person and, and you know you're you know it's just, it is it is it is, it is a horrific story well, it's, it's, it's it's a real parable between this tale because in that mm. one like it, one dies during the night and the other one dies uh, of heartbreak mm. um like a day later it's yeah. horrible um, and then we, we jump to something moving under scully's trailer uh, as a uh, Mulder approaches, he sees some movement and hears some noises. And he catches uh, Mr. Nut under there. Again, <laughs> instantly assuming something that is wrong. Um, and it's just a, a fun interaction. I like these two. They bounce off each other really well. Is, is he a pervert that, or is he just doing a spot of DIY? <laughs> yeah. And then, again... Goes in the defensive because he's got that huge chip in the shoulder, like he said, and says that women uh, rather find his diminutive stature rather alluring. To which Mulder, I'm pretty sure, makes a blowjob joke here <laughs> and says, I'm sure there's a lot of men do as well. <laughs> and I'm like, Excuse me, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Mulder did go there. Um, yeah. To be honest, I never took it as a, as a uh, blowjob remark. I just, I just took it as him kind of hitting on the guy just to make him feel uncomfortable. It's, it's um, the way he's shot. It's the way he's shot and the way he's standing, like the hands and the hips type of thing and the angle of the camera. And I'm just like, surely not. But yes, it's there. And then uh, Scully sticks her head out and she's like, oh, I thought you were Mr. Nut. Has he finished fixing the plumbing? <laughs> yeah, foot in mouth once again from all that. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, he, he gives Scully some... Just <laughs> He gives Scully some background info on Dr. Blockhead and says mm. that his blood is a potential match because back when uh, they had that conversation with Blockhead and Conundrum, uh, when, uh, when, when Scully ate the locust, Mulder also took the, the nail that yeah. Blockhead had kind of hammered into his own nose so that he could use the, the blood from it to, yeah, to, to test his blood and see if he's a match. So, um, Scully, after doing some digging of her own, tells Mulder that Sheriff Hamilton was once Jim Jim, the dog-faced boy. <laughs> I love it. So um, they decide right at that moment to go and stake out the sheriff's trailer, um, to which they catch him burying something <laughs> rather strange. Would, um, have you ever heard of this before? No. Yeah. No, but it I, sounds... It, sounds, yeah, it, it sounds like one of the it, like one of them old wives' tales, or you know, like yeah, it, it does sound like one of them random stories. But I feel like this one was purely made up for the X Files. Mm. Burying a potato in uh, was it was it was it, had, it had to be under a full moon or something like that. Yep. Yeah, um, yep. So, but again, the came <laughs> Sheriff Hamilton's rather just it's just open. Just think what he's doing there and why are you digging up that potato? <laughs> it's, it's, it's awesome. I like the, the, there's a line there where uh, I think it's Scully says it's like assuming guilt based solely on skin colour, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but they but they go ahead and do it anyway. <laughs> yeah. it's, and again, it's like appearances are not what they seem. Mm. I also like the way Scully tries to worm her way out of it by coming up with uh, some guff, <laughs> some guff about some serial killers how they how they try to hide within law enforcement, yeah. and then uh, Mulder just comes clean and 
tells them we found Sorry, out Chandler. it used to be dog based but yeah. yeah it's like it's like a kid where you're like, don't say anything about dog face boy. Just don't say it, okay? I'll <laughs> deal with this one. Yeah. And then just, it holds back as much as they can. It's just like, yeah, 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 but Jim, Jim, the dog face boy. boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. Yeah, uh, and, and he tells them that he gave up circus life. But that doesn't quite explain the potato. <laughs> no, no. But then he tells them that, um, yeah, he had a wart on his hand, which doesn't quite explain the potato either. <laughs> so, no. um, but yeah, apparently, if you, you rub a potato on your wart and then bury it under a full moon or something, it. Yeah. And again, there's just like a, a funny little scene of him saying that and then Mulder realizing he's holding the potato and then just kind of like, <laughs> 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 let that fall. Um, so then we go to the conundrum who just for the sake of it, decides he's going to try and eat a dog, uh, what it looks like. Yeah, he's, he's just chasing this dog around the park because yeah. it's peckish, like, oh, you know. I'll eat that. That looks mm. good. Yeah. And um, again, this guy isn't a genuine freak. This is someone who's no. just tattooed his body and he's decided to do the most weird-ass crap that he could possibly do mm. in order to make himself into a freak. Like, this guy could be out earning a proper wage, eating proper meals, but he's instead chasing down a dog and, and literally trying to eat the thing. It's like, which does <laughs> yeah. kind of make him more of a freak than the genuine freaks, the fact that he's chosen yeah. this life. Mm-hmm. And of course, they, they bump into Mr. Nut because mm-hmm. he, he's actually there to deliver the rent check. And then th- there is the next victim, the next attack. I'm just kind of sorry to see Mr. Nut getting attacked. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I was hoping for a bit more banter between him and Mulder before before yeah, the episode yeah. finished, but um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, we get a crazed Lenny bursting into Scully's room while she's sleeping. <laughs> um, but again, it, it doesn't seem very... I think it's supposed to be painted almost as a threatening to start with, but it just doesn't seem that kind of character. Yeah, he, um, he, he seems to me to be more... Of um, he's quite simple in the head, like gentle yeah. giant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's, it's no. I think calling him Lenny is probably a direct yeah. reference to of mice and then. So yeah. it's something I never considered before, to be honest. But um, I think it's, it's a way of not hiding the fact that yeah, this, this is a guy who's who's meant to be taken as as a simple man, very much like Lenny in that mm-hmm. in that story. Um. But yeah, he, he comes in covered in blood, freaks Scully out. Uh, but he's he's found Mr. Nut, who's mm-hmm. yeah, copped it. Yeah, absolutely. So we're at, we're at the murder scene where um, Lenny just starts to freak out, starts to hit himself. And you know, the, the sheriff kind of says, like, you know, we need to take you away, you're going to harm yourself. In which case, he's like, who cares? And he's like, well, you might harm me, which seems to calm Lenny down. Just kind of shows he's like, he doesn't give much respect to himself, but he does think a lot more about others. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> there's a, one of Blockhead's needles is found at the scene, um, which surprises Scully because actually she is she was actually coming around to the the idea of something more freakish being at work, um, mm. and I, I think being within this community is kind of getting under her skin a little bit 
it's it's making her I, I think it, it, it's playing with her head and again it goes back to that idea of you know the the myth that is then created by people who, who, who are not you know are not normal um it's just like it does it, it you start to create things in your own mind uh and, and i think that's yeah again ties in just ties into it thematically i think just the fact that even scully was 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 kind of getting on that train uh but no it it, it looks like mr blockhead is behind it the evidence seems to be pointing to him <clears throat> and they've got him on a hook literally in the next scene which is just he's just hanging out doing what people do at night yeah. apparently yeah i, th- I think he, i think he must have seen that film the cell although that came yeah. after this episode and, and, and decided yeah. yeah this was something worth doing but yeah, he's sticking needles into his body as part of some ancient ritual intended to make someone feel so much pain they eventually leave their own body. <laughs> yeah. Why you would want to do that, I don't know, but hey-ho. Um, he's uncooperative, so Scully tries to handcuff him, but he escapes and does a runner, pushing Mulder onto a bed of nails, but Hamilton catches up with him. So, yeah, yeah. they, uh, they take, him, take him to the cell put him in um, I, I love it uh, handcuffing an escape artist yeah of course of course I don't think you know anyone is convinced at this point that this dude is really behind it uh, especially given the fact that we've already seen the killer um, crawling through the window we, we know that it's not blockhead we know that there is some there is a genuine creature of some description out there yeah um, so yeah, uh, so uh, Lenny wakes up in the drunk tank and sees something that starts making him scream. Mm. Yeah, mm. kind of. And, and it's, you, you think when, when did you? Because obviously, this obviously, I'm a guy who's seen these episodes so yeah. many times. This, this is quite fresh for you. Um, or at least it was when we first recorded this, and then had to record it again. But um. <laughs> What was your first point during the episode where you twigged what was going on? Because obviously this uh, is a big this is a big clue right here. Yeah, I, I think it was in Hip Cat, the, the window. Right. Um, okay. Right, when, so when you that, get a that soon. It. That soon. Yeah, but it's only because it, it alludes to kind of it's alive. Mm. Um, uh, and then, then that tailored with the fact that at the, the funeral you see the, the little bulge with shoes on mm. <laughs> a little outfit um, and you know it's it's one of those episodes where I did remember eventually watching it it yeah. kind of came to me so I don't know if it all kind of came together and, and I put two together whereas it may have surprised me more when I first saw it mm. Um, so yeah. it's one of those ones where your, your memory plays a little bit trick with you but right. I, okay. I think it was during the hate cat murder where I really kind of I know where it's heading yeah. which doesn't spoil the episode I think no, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of episodes of TV uh, I mean I've, I've been going through Smallville at the minute uh, I, I watched an episode not so long ago where the twist was so evident right from the start like literally from the opening scene, really, you knew what the twist was. So it just, 
there was no tension in there mm. at all. And I think because this episode doesn't necessarily thrive explicitly off tension, it's more about the themes that are going throughout each scene. Um, I, I think I, I think that's the, that's the thing where, where like if, if you make something that is strong in character and thematic thematics and, and whatnot and has something to say and all that i think it covers up a multitude of sins i think you can get away with having something that you know a more predictable element in it but if you're hinging on that that element to be your you know your big mystery factor and then you, you've not sorted the rest of the stuff out and it really hurts the episode so um, just a, a little aside there but yeah so they bring Blockhead into the station and then they find Lenny there because after his little screaming incident, Scully yep. uh, posits the theory that it's Leonard, Lenny's brother, who is doing the killing, which is, is a bit bizarre to be, you know, because is, is, Le is Lenny not essentially the, the same name as Leonard? Is yeah. Yeah. So they've, Called these twin brothers Lenny and Lenny, essentially. <laughs> Leonard and Leonard. Yeah. Um, all right. But um, so, yeah, so th this, this is the real tragedy in the episode. And it, again, yeah. it's that humanizing of these, these freaks, these outcasts. So, Leonard, the, the smaller brother, the, 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 the one who's kind of attached to Lenny, he's going off each night trying to find another brother yeah. he's trying to latch himself on to someone else um and, and from the look of it anyone will do just as long yeah. as it's not lenny because yeah. which which is so tragic because it makes you feel for lenny i mean you sympathize with this guy anyway just based on what we've been given so far but yeah it's, it's just it's that that rejection but I had a thought watching this one, Brian. It's a little bit of a wacky one, but go with me here. Um, we find out right at the end of this that, that, that Lenny uh, had damaged his liver mm -hmm. and was dying. Oh, yes. yes. So maybe his brother was trying to find a host because he knew uh, that Lenny was dying. No, no, was no, that's, yeah, that's, that's good. Uh, I, I, but... There is something, um, so when Scully asks how long he can exist unattached, Lenny's response is long enough to know you cannot change the way you were born, which like in that line of dialogue, it's, I don't know, if it, the way he says that feels like this is something, like did, did, did does the brother want to leave because Lenny, is drinking and it's killing them or is Lenny drinking and killing them because the brother wanted to leave? That's, you know, that's the thing. There's, there's such tragedy wrapped up in Lenny and Leonard. Um, the fact that yeah. there's codependence there. They are completely dependent on one another to survive, but they're also in that codependence. They've, they've grown spiteful of each other, I think. Yeah. Um, which, which is, truly tragic so yeah uh so they, they 
Did you want to say anything else? No. So they, they, they tell Hamilton to call for the paramedic before going after Leonard. And they track Leonard to the funhouse, the uh, Tabernacle of Terror. The Tabernacle of Terror. Mm-hmm. So obviously a staple of, of horror films. Uh, you know, I think of funhouses that, that they often appear in horror movies. Um, I'm thinking right now of Charles Play 3, uh, but numerous others. Um, what do you think of this scene? I liked it. It was kind of playful. Um, it goes the more typical route into the fun house where things jump out and mm. uh, secret doors open. But um, I, I really liked it because I felt it was quite a homage to uh, the, the lady from Shanghai, um, right. which has our main character kind of walking about a, a hallway of mirrors, shooting at, at um, various characters, which was, was quite good. But I, I like the fact when Mulder just slides in out of nowhere directly at Scully's feet. And, and it was one of the things where they're like, you know, maybe we should just get out of here. We'll get Leonard when it comes out of the building type of thing. But I just went, when I said, this is the quickest like, slug-like person I've, I've ever seen. Because this thing seems to move at a lightning speed. Because mm-hmm. um, it's out of the building before they are. It's making its way into the, the, the brush and then it's gone. Yeah, you know it's just ridiculously fast, but yeah, I, I like that whole scene. I think it's just fun. It's more typical of the kind of thriller that, that we're used to, and yeah, yeah, fun, 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 fun. Yeah, it's it's a good creepy scene, I think. And again, the mm-hmm. the we get a genuine little monster in Leonard. Um, he yep. cer- certainly does not look human, uh, but uh, yeah, I I like it. So, um, Leonard attacks the tattooed man who, yeah, does what tattooed man does best, eats yeah. him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the, the, the dog managed to escape, uh, Leonard does not. Hmm. Now, I'm, I'm almost expecting a typical ending here, which I, I was getting with the shootout and the chase sequence in the fun house. And then it just does that little thing where it sub, you know, subverts your expectations yet again and gives you a really weird ending for a weird episode. And it's wonderfully fitting. Yeah. Terrific. Definitely. Um, so I, I, I think my only criticism of that kind of scene, the idea is that there's no mess at all. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, did, did Conundrum swallow this guy whole? You know, he's like, because he's a good size. Dislocated jaw and just... Yeah, like, yeah. It's like, it's, it's, it's literally like, yeah. How is there no blood mm. kind of pouring down his chin? Because he must have had to have bitten into this thing. And, you know, did he then go away, clean himself up and then lie down to... Yeah. Um, but that's... There's no other here to there. Uh, so it's morning. Police are still combing the area. Sheriff Hamilton mocks Scully for her uh, wacky theory. And Mulder says, now you know how I feel, <laughs> which I thought was quite <laughs> nice. Because <laughs> Scully's actually got the truth for once. Mm-hmm. She's, she's actually the one who's, who's found the wacky idea, which is, which is, genuinely what has happened 
Um, mm. You know, this isn't so. This isn't something that Mulder's come up with. It's not the Fiji mermaid. Um, the, the the theory Scully has that that's that's genuinely what happened, which which is a change. It makes a change that actually she's she's the one with the answer in this case. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's nice that she's she's getting the kind of comments thrown at her that that would traditionally be saved for Mulder. Um, yeah, yeah, again, which which feeds into the idea that actually Mulder is in the place that is that is quite fitting for him because he's a freak. Mm-hmm. He is an outcast. So when he's when he's in this town, he's 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 quite normal. And actually, yeah. so it's it, it's good to twist that around and have Scully be the one that yeah he's kind of laughed out of the place, so to speak. Definitely, we get a little wrap up with the conundrum and um, Doctor Blockhead, who we are. For some reason, Scully just starts telling them all kinds of facts about the autopsy. Just way too much information. <laughs> it almost feels like exposition for the viewer. Mm. Uh, kind of. But again, I kind of like all these characters, so it's fun just to see them again. We get the, the sullen uh, conundrum just sitting on that uh, passenger seat who gets one hell of a finishing line for a TV show. Right? When see what it is. Uh, I, did I write it down? I can't remember. Go on, hit me with it. Probably something I eat. Oh yes, of course. Yes, I was I was too busy thinking of the. There's, there's a moment that really makes me laugh when uh, Blockhead's talking about the future of mankind, essentially, mm. and and how it it looks a lot like him. And then we get the shot of Mulder stood there with his knee up, kind of. Hands on hips, like some kind gigantic of gigantic trousers. Yeah, gigantic <laughs> trousers. I'm looking at this going, like, "Wow!" Those early '90s fashions are really not yeah. doing it for him. But uh, yeah. yeah, great stuff. And we are done. Yep. So yeah, I, I like it. Final yeah. thoughts. I, I, I love it. I think it's a standout scene where um, it's one that I would throw on and just get lost in again, because I, I love all the weird and odd characters. Uh, I, I love the way that they all circumvent expectations. I love the duality of everything. Uh, I love the fact that you see the, the, the main characters detecting for a, a change. You know, they go their separate ways and they don't get in danger. They just find out information and you get funny moments. Uh, you, you get tragic moments. It runs a gamut of everything. And in 43 minutes, which some movies can't even manage in the, in the runtime they have to do that. Yeah. For me, easy, five out of five. Yeah, absolutely, totally agree. Five out of five for me. Just, I, I just think this this is really kind of again, as an X Files fan, looking back when I first saw this, this was just, it was a breath of fresh air. It was completely different. Um, you know, it, it could have gone wrong. Uh, mm. I think because of the way that Mulder and Scully are almost sent up in many ways in this, it could have turned a lot of people off. Um, and I know there are there are a few X-Files fans out there that aren't a fan of these kind of episodes, but you can't fault that writing. I think Darren Morgan just does delivers an amazing script in which every line, every action is 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 attuned to the, to those themes of. Mm. You know, being different, being the outcast, not fitting in, finding your place in the world, um, which is great. Which he not only explores through the, the circus weeks, but through Mulder and Scully as well. It's just, 
it's just a gem, absolute gem of an episode. Five out of five for me. Yeah. Okay, Brian. So the next episode, number 21, is the Cal Usari. Is that, is it, am I saying that correct? Yes. Yeah, the Kalashari, yeah. yeah. Kalashari. So tell me a little bit about this one. Is this a memorable episode? It's it's I think it, it's it's not a bad episode uh, from what I remember. I, I it, it's not one that I tend to kind of you know gravitate towards. If, if, if I'm binging all my favourite episodes, just my favourite episodes, it's, it's probably not going to be one I pull out. But mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's it's a good solid episode. I, it's it's very much Omen inspired. Um, oh, right. Okay. Yeah, Omen and the Exorcist kind of vibe to it. Excellent. So, as always, thanks for listening, and we will see you next week on the X-Files Revisited. You've been listening to the X-Files Revisited. Please join us next time when we dissect another episode of this classic series. If you like what you've been listening to, please don't forget to click subscribe and also leave a rating and a review. It really does help us to get seen. If you'd like to hear or see more from Graham, please visit Man V Film on YouTube. Likewise, if you'd like to hear or see more from Brian, then please head over to Brian Lomax Movie Talk, also on YouTube. All that's left for us to do is to thank you for listening. And until next time, trust no one.